G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. If nothing else, you will be engaged. You might be entertained. I hope that you are challenged uh, by some of the things that we'll talk about today and alignments of things in the past with things that may be happening in the present. Times are changing, aren't they? Faster than we can all process easily. Some are asking, has the government, whether it's federal or state, completely lost any moral compass, or are they just pushing boundaries? The political battles are not always goodies versus baddies. As a Christian, you know that both sides of a debate can be influenced by a deepening move towards what we might even call a secular values-free zone that's driven by ideology and propaganda. We wonder how our biblical Christian values can be so easily sidelined and what we should do. Well, a conversation today with a special guest who is preparing right now to deliver a biblical survey of how the people of God engage with pagan governments. David Old is Senior Associate Minister at St. John's Anglican Cathedral in Parramatta in Sydney, He unapologetically defends biblical Christianity and he'll be one of the speakers at this weekend's Church and State Summit that's on in Brisbane. David, a special welcome back to 2020. Oh, thank you, Neil. It's great to be back with you. It's been far too long. It has been far too long. I'm not sure whose fault that is, but I'll put my hand up and say it's me not being in touch with you. Let's take it (laughs) 50-50. Hey, David, as we get a conversation like this underway, now, I think there's some important things for us to just set in place maybe as a foundation, and some might be aligning right now our federal and state governments in the mix of pagan governments. Is that fair and accurate? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So I've used the word pagan. It's quite a provocative word, right? But but uh, in the New Testament, it just simply means unbelieving. Uh, and and one of the things we've just got to get ahead around is that our, our governments are, are, are fundamentally un, unbelieving governments. Even if from time to time a Christian uh, becomes uh, prime minister or premier of a state, I think we've got to get ahead around the whole the whole structure is is at a, at a at a more core level unbelieving. And by unbelieving, I don't mean doesn't have some sort of legacy in Judeo-Christian Chris, Chris, uh, uh, morality or ethics. I mean, doesn't have the gospel of Jesus at, at its at its core. And that's actually an important principle of um, of Australia. I mean, Section 116 of our Constitution is really, really clear uh, on, on that. And that's a good thing. It actually protects, doesn't it, uh, um, lots of different minorities and, and, and people. Yeah. And just your thoughts here, because some might be thinking the government is now so far gone uh, down a pagan path Uh, let's just use that terminology uh yeah maybe it's uh not redeemable others might be saying well wait a minute this is all fluid just because they're going in a wrong direction on a whole lot of issues doesn't mean there can't be a chance to rescue the situation what are your thoughts here i mean you can 
you can tar everyone with a brush and say <laughs> they're all in the pagan category, or is yeah. there is there an opportunity here to re-engage, change the direction, and re- and uh, reform? Well, I think the first thing we want to recognise is that governments really tend to reflect the way that society more generally is moving for for whatever reasons that it moves uh, are where it goes. Uh, we are in a much more rapidly culturally changing and philosophically changing uh, environment than we were maybe even 50 or 100 years ago. So there are some rapid changes going on and our governments uh, reflect that. So in principle, you might want to argue that uh, there is, because um, it moves, there's always a chance that it might it might move back. Uh, I think the reality is we, we can see the direction that our culture is moving at the moment in terms of how it understands where truth comes from and, and, and what are the great moral goods that we ought to be pursuing and defending uh, my my gentle gut is it's going in a direction that is going to be um unhelpful for people uh, in general general and i would say beginning to be more and more hostile towards christianity where we're not just people aren't just apathetic about us now they actually see um the positions that we take as as harmful some might even say as you use the word unhelpful for people we're talking about all mm. australians uh, some will yeah. say wait a minute dave you're not going far enough here uh, what the policies are of our governments be they federal or state are oftentimes yeah. very hurtful hurtful to the nation because we've got yeah. some history that says these things work if you brush those to the side uh, hurt yeah. is on the way yeah. Look, I totally agree. So, for example, look at some of the laws in uh, being legislated in Victoria uh, recently. I think there are some shocking decisions being made about what is good uh, good for people or not. But I think what we've got to get ahead around is that it's not uniform all the time. And one of the things we often I see Christians do in particular is overreact to one thing and not read the ground where they're at. I was at a forum last night with the um, with the leader of the opposition here in New South Wales. We've obviously got the state election coming up in New South Wales. And I've got to say, uh, Labour Party, uh, um, probably pe- a lot of people in the room would instinctively be wanting to vote Liberal. I think I think I'm fair to say that. Uh, just on, on moral issues, which are very big at the moment, especially in the west of Sydney. But I've got to say, I, I heard a panel of Labour politicians and was able to speak to them afterwards, who I think were much more uh, sympathetic and understanding and even uh, uh, resonating with some of the key issues that were being raised. So I think we're in, we, we shouldn't slip into this danger of, of just saying it's, it's, it's all the same everywhere. There are, there are different things going on everywhere and it requires a bit of nuance and engagement and, and understanding, all the while uh, also being able to say to people, I don't think you appreciate where that's going. So last night, um, Chris Minns, leader of the Labour Party in New South Wales, was asked uh, the classic question on safe spaces for women. It's the, it was a trans question. You know, uh, I think in Queensland where you are, the government's putting in a thing where you can just say, oh, I'm, I'm a different sex to what I was. And then uh, biological men, can on that basis walk into women's spaces and that's a big issue for for many women he 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 had nothing like he he just didn't know what to say on that he gave us a nothing answer um and i think there's still space for us to go to guys like that you need to understand where this is going whereas in other jurisdictions it's already gone hasn't it the interesting uh, and important element that i can hear you sharing here uh, as you were there and you saw those uh, mm. the you know the labor leader and a panel yeah. of the 
likely front bench or the shadow yep. front bench is that when you're in opposition, your ears are open and you are listening at least to the constituency. You find yourself on the uh, on the government side benches and your ears have closed because you think the people have voted to give you a mandate to do what you said you were going to do, even if yeah. it was bad. So when you've got an opposition and you've got a Christian set of leaders who are actually firing some questions, looking for some real answers. This is great, isn't it? Because you've got listening ears. Yeah, it is. And, and it is it is a moment to grasp. And, and I don't think we can always assume that they are listening. Two federal elections ago, uh, um, Labour got smashed in the west of Sydney. And they were smashed because they were perceived as being hostile to to re- to sincere religious belief. Bill Shorten was uh, uh, was their candidate at the time. And he said some stuff around the around the, um, the gay marriage debate. And they got they got shellacked in the west of Sydney. They recovered a little bit in the in the more recent federal election, more because Scott Morrison's government had become so unpopular. I don't think it was a massive swing towards Labour as, as much as away from the Liberals. But speaking to some of those front bench politicians last night, I can think of one person in particular I spoke to, they basically said, yeah, we, we've learned from that. Uh, and and what you see represented today is is a very different set of people. So I think we've just got to be aware that within the parties themselves, there is a variety of approaches uh, and, and in the different states as well. It's not one size fits all. It's going to require um, deliberate, um, uh, uh, meaningful engagement by us. Let's come back to our conversation topic. And yeah. uh, it's a little bit like it's, I feel like we're talking about ancient times, but there's a veiled there's a veiled view of what might be happening currently. I want to ask you because we're talking about how the Christian engages with pagan governments, and yeah. uh, let's talk about the people of God here for a few moments sure. because uh, you know, as Christians, uh, biblical people, we say we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're aliens. Absolutely. We're passing through. Some take that uh, to say, well, I don't have to worry about the engagement with the politics and the values and those things that are happening. I'm just passing through here. What are your thoughts on the people of God and the and the prospect of engagement? Yeah, so it's about it's about understanding what the, what the priorities are and, and what the ultimate priorities are. So there's there's a couple of sort of I almost want to go ranked priorities. First of all, there is a clear priority in the scriptures for the creation itself and especially humanity made in the image of God as the pinnacle of creation. So so the man and the woman are made in 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 Genesis one at the end, and it's clearly the the last and the the seventh binary of the binaries that are there in Genesis one. And so whether you read that narrative as a strict uh, narrative or you read it uh, more as, a, as, as, as picture language the message is still there and so people become very important and what happens to them becomes very important and you see that worked out in the in the life of the nation of israel in lots of uh, uh, laws about looking after those who need looking after and then the prophets rail against israel uh, uh, for for um for not for not doing that um but Almost over and above, and, and the, the 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 bringing together of it all is then is then that higher thing which which consummates that which says, and the ultimate goal of the people of God is to be at rest in the place where God uh, is to be with them, of which the nation of Israel and the land serves only as a shadow or a type of that final. 
um, we might say eschatological reality to use the big words. But we're longing for a day, aren't we? Not where we sit on fluffy clouds uh, plucking harps, but where we, we, we belong to a new creation. This this world recreated with sin removed, the precursor of which, of course, is Jesus's own resurrection itself. So then the question is, as I long for that day and as I wait for that day, how do I engage and, and work it out here as the government above me? Uh, doesn't hold to those things and therefore starts to act in the creation in ways that are not least foolish, but sometimes evil. The first example I think you've got of it is the Hebrew midwives in Exodus, right? So the people of God find themselves in Egypt and uh, the king uh, is scared of them, wants to kill them all off. And you get these brilliant Hebrew midwives who uh, uh, who basically just they they break the law. Uh, the, the the king says they must kill the Hebrew babies before they're born and the Hebrew midwives don't want this. And so they look after the babies and rescue them. And when they're challenged, they go, these these Hebrew women, they just they're so strong and vigorous. They give birth and they get the, the babies are out and gone before we get there. What, what are we going to do? And it, it's it's a wonderful moment. Right. Because, I mean, I love what I love the snark of it. But two, it does tell us there is a time to resist the pagan authority. Uh, so clearly at this moment where the king says, kill the babies, um, the the uh, God's people go, no. And they show tremendous courage uh, in, 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 in doing it. So you get like the setup there for, well, whatever this is going to look like, there are boundaries to us simply saying yes. When you talk about rest, uh, now that might mm. be the sticking point for some who say we're just passing through here. We're on our yeah. way to rest. Uh, we yeah. know we're just surviving as we're going. But the battles that we might read of in the Old Testament, uh, they mm. were battles that had to be fought before yes. there could be a time of rest. Uh, sometimes yes. you've got to fight for the freedom. Sometimes you've got to fight for the rest, haven't you? Well, I think you've got to be very careful because, again, you've got to work out what's going on with the Old Testament. And when it comes to this language of rest and the land, the New Testament, uh, it tells us how to understand it. So we don't have to guess. So the writer of the Hebrews in chapters three and four looks at all of that and he says, quite clearly, that was not the final rest that was intended. It was only a shadow or a type. The great rest is that great Jerusalem that is yet to come, that mountain that cannot be shaken. It's 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 actually a future event. So sometimes one of the mistakes that we make is we take the very physicality of the Old Testament, which was meant to point us towards those those greater hopes, and we think that's that's the end game. We're actually understanding that the New Testament uh, tells us it was always intended to to point us forward. Uh, always intended to point us forward. Uh, Abraham, the writer tells us, lived in a tent because he knew the city and the land that he was promised was not actually the physical land that he was on. So the Christian hope is of this is of this new creation. But that doesn't just mean that we're that we're just passing through and just you know hanging on with our fingernails for dear life and just just coping. Because again, we live in this wonderful creation that God made, and He intended us to live in it and to enjoy it and to and to care for it and to prosper in it as a precursor and as a foretaste for for what is yet to come. So um, yes, Jesus says, "My kingdom is not of this world." Uh, when ultimately He stands in front of the government of the day. And he goes, it's something bigger. Like, if you think I'm about being king here, you've missed the point. And yet it's the same Jesus who walked through the land, healing and caring and rest and restoring that same physical creation. So it's just about getting that, that nuance and that, and, that, and that balance right. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. 
And our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might want to engage with our conversation. We're talking about what our special guest is preparing to deliver, a biblical survey, you might say a biblical study, of how the people of God engage with pagan governments. He's going to be a speaker at the upcoming Church and State Summit this weekend, unapologetically defending biblical Christianity. David Old is our guest. We are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. We'll take some calls in just a few moments, but uh, but David, just quickly, when we're talking through the issue we are now, and you're going to be presenting a survey, a biblical survey, and you're going to be addressing the language of Babylon and how it's used in the Old Testament and the New Testament, what do we need to understand if we're talking paganism and Babylon? They are aligned. Yeah, so so Babylon becomes one of the paradigms, one of the images that that is prevalent in the scriptures to to describe a world in rebellion uh, against God, and therefore, if you like, the enemy of Jerusalem. Uh, so the word Babylon uh, comes originally from from Babel, that famous thing in Genesis 11 where the people of God get together and just say, uh, "We want to be God," uh, and God goes, "I don't think so," and and scatters them everywhere. Uh, but then, obviously, Babylon becomes the the means by which God uses to punish the nation and take them into exile. And then uh, as you get the people of God in Babylon in exile, they 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 start to work out what it means for them to 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 live not as they should be. They should be under in God's place, under God's rule, uh, 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 you know, living according to his promise, but they they found themselves in this in this strange place uh, from which they long to return to to the promised land. What's really interesting is that the New Testament authors are uh, particularly you see it in the Revelation, but then most of all, I think quite clearly in, in the Apostle Peter in his first letter, he writes to Christians as though they're living in Babylon. He calls them the exiles scattered in the world. He talks to them about how they then need to need to refer to the emperor because of course rome is ruling then uh, um and uh, and he holds out for them uh the language of the return to the promised land as their great as their great hope which of course he is quite clear is when jesus returns and all things are made new okay a very good clarification there taking calls 1-800-316-316 let's hear from graham in tasmania hello graham welcome hello gentlemen Look, uh, this is actually prophecy and process, what's happening now. This is foretold in the Old Testament and in the New Testament because the nations, the, especially the so-called Christian nations have been blessed by God, they've turned away from God. And this is what we're going to get. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, I think it is, about those who have kept my testimony and endure, I shall protect them from the hour the trouble that will come upon the whole earth about all mankind being tested. And we're there now, and it's very close. Our true Christianity, if we're true Christians, we're going to have to put our neck on the line or on the block because this is what's happening. Uh, Also, the Pope is pushing for a one-world religion, and uh, even the Muslims, uh, the young Arab guy down in Arabia there, he's setting up uh, church and uh, uh, even, a, even a mosque, not a mosque. I mean, uh, you know what I'm trying to yeah, say. Look, Graham, so, let's, uh, let's not get into uh, that issue might take us off on a tangent, but uh, come back to 
putting your neck on the block, uh, because it would seem to me that when Christians engage with uh, the pagan government, uh, getting your thoughts here, uh, David Old, uh, yeah, when yeah. reform comes, usually there are heads that do roll, literally. Uh, any thoughts here about uh, when you've got something that gives you that freedom, that liberty, uh, you want to hold on to it because actually fighting your way back usually means the blood of martyrs being shed. Uh, thoughts here for Graham? Yeah, so uh, Graham, thanks for, thanks for your question. Um, yeah, yeah, Neil, that's, that's, that's the right thing to ask. There is, a, there is a, clearly a trait of Christians um, gently and humbly claiming their rights in the face of a pagan government. So you see that with Daniel. Uh, you see that with the way that he interacts uh, with, with the great um, uh, kings. Uh, you see it with the Apostle Paul. What's really interesting with the Apostle Paul is that on a number of occasions, he says to the people dealing with him badly, look, hang on, guys, I'm a Roman citizen. That means that you, you need to treat me fairly under the law. I actually have a right to speak about things. And, you know, I've got a right to due process. So there is that. I think there is that. There's certainly the biblical model of going, not demanding, you know, obstropriously. That's my big word for the day. Uh, but actually going, no, these are rights. And, and, and at this point, we want to exercise them. So I think go go for that i think i just want to go just back on the quote from revelation if if if, if you may uh, as a preacher uh, and that's a passage that we've preached through recently um at church i just want to go let's just be really clear what it is and what it's not talking about it's speaking to the church in a pagan environment i, I i'm i'm always personally very wary of this notion of christian nation for the reason that i set up for you for you right at the start we may be um a nation with that western uh, liberal uh, legacy with the judeo-christian values but we we've never been a nation founded on on the gospel we've been a nation heavily influenced by the ethics and the virtues that the gospel brings now that's not a bad thing but we should never in these big debates we ought to never confuse the gospel itself with with the ethics that it produces the danger is we we slip into moralism and confuse that for the actual gospel of grace and forgiveness and restoration Hey, Graham, does that satisfy uh, your query and uh, the comment you were making? Uh, well, look, the fact is that we, we are, at, you know, and I know this world, anyone that knows their Bible, we're on the edge of a new world. This world's uh, in great dire, great dire straits. And uh, I'd say that uh, you, no matter what you say, we're going to be railroaded, railroaded, off the tracks and uh, so the point is there's all this nonsense and foolishness coming in of our governments you know this is what's to be expected these days Graham so I don't want to uh, I'm not your critic I appreciate your thoughts but there's a little bit of a defeatism in the thought that somehow or other, uh, you know, it's all going to be inevitable that uh, we're going to be steamrolled. And uh, and some might argue, and there might be different positions in the Scriptures, but uh, quickly on this sort of thing, uh, David, uh, the yeah. hope we have, a kingdom mindset, 
Yeah. Uh, up against what might be a pagan-oriented government, um, you know, isn't the story of the establishment of the church just a testimony to that the fact that, uh, you know, within 400 years, uh, Christianity was the state religion in Rome, uh, Rome a pagan uh, a, a, a pagan uh, uh, empire. Your thoughts yeah. here just briefly? Yeah, so um, there's a tendency sometimes for us to go, oh, it's never been as bad as this. Uh, you know, we're, we're, it's, it's, it's getting worse. The reality is that it's been far worse for the church in the last 2000 years in many, many other places. And we're just now stepping into a taste of that. And we've been shielded from it from 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 the past. I mean, uh, um, Graham's very right to say we're on the edge of. We're on the edge of, of the new creation. Uh, and that's the way that the New Testament consistently speaks, as though there is this thin veil to be pulled aside and blam, it's there. But also, you know, Jesus says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. This is not the end. Don't be fooled. Uh, many of the greats throughout Christian history have thought that, you know, theirs was the moment when Jesus was coming back. So Martin Luther famously, with all the all the, just the turmoil that was unleashed in, in Europe at that time, he was thoroughly convinced Jesus was coming within his lifetime, and others have been as well. And please don't hear me denying the return of Jesus. I, I long for it. I long for it. I long for it, especially as I get older, because I really want a new creation. Uh, but um, But we just, you know... Uh, there's nothing new under the sun Twas ever thus and it will come like a complete surprise when it does and it, gosh it will be wonderful in the meantime we we understand it will be that it will be this way how do we respond to it uh, david in this part of our conversation and i know we want to touch on some of the things that are happening and uh, even around the australian christian lobby some uh, listeners will be familiar that the, there's a little bit of a crisis that's going on at the present time. But before yeah. we talk about anything to do with that, let me ask mm. you about engagement with pagan governments. There's a kingdom dimension that the believer needs to appreciate, that God yeah. is transcendent, that what is happening here and now is influenced by him as king and in his transcendence. Uh, there's a sense in which we began to talk about uh, things that are happening today. And just to give a context here for your thoughts, because here in Australia, at least we have a voice right now. It might feel like it's a fading voice. Some might even say we have a fading democracy. But there's 360 million people around the world who are under high levels of persecution and they don't have a voice. We've got a voice this kingdom element here, though, I wonder if you've got any thoughts as to how that kingdom element translates into the way we engage with a pagan government. Sure. So you're right. We do have a voice and it's our responsibility to use it wisely and, and effectively. How, how does what we believe impact? Well, I'm an Anglican minister. Uh, um, let me give you an example of how, how it impacts. I'm an Anglican minister. And of course, as part of that, I, I marry uh, people. If you read the preface to the marriage service in the Book of Common Prayer, 1662, which is the bit you read at the very start to tell everybody what you're actually doing. One of the things that you mentioned, one of the goods of um, marriage is that children, it's a safe and secure environment for children to be to be to be to be brought up and then the minister as he's saying that says this this is for their good and the good order of society so there's this there's this that's a real articulation of this sense that when things are done the way that god created them to be 
then that is to everyone's benefit. Uh, another category that the scriptures use for that is, is this category of wisdom. Wisdom is about understanding the creation so that I can know how to live best in it so that everything benefits. So in one sense, you might argue Christian lobbying of governments is about, it's not least, it's other things as well, but it's not least saying, hey, listen, this is what we think is the wisest way to live for the maximum benefit of everybody. It's not just self-interest. It's like, we want everyone to to do to to do well. Uh, sometimes that'll be a con- on controversial topic. So, for example, you know, we don't shy away from issues like adoption and and marriage and 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 and, and so on. But we're thoroughly convinced that certain decisions need to be made for the best best outcomes for everyone. And so, I think lobbying done well does that but it's never unhitched never unmoored from from the gospel which lies behind it which of course is a gospel of god's generosity and and of giving so the creation is a great act of generosity and goodness by god uh, and the most wonderful example of that is the gospel itself uh and so what we need to do is is keep working at explaining not just what we think is is good but why what underpins it what are the uh, fundamental principles sitting behind it that we're trying to apply into this and that's always the difficulty because the principles are the gospel themselves uh and then the outworkings are the are the ethics and uh, possibly that's what's been going on i think as you read some of the the stuff going on around the acl decision of 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 this last week you can clearly see them they're juggling that tension how much do we do the application wisdom stuff and how much do we do the gospel stuff that 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 lies behind and clearly there's a there's a disagreement an expectation gap on what that looks like uh between the board and and, and martin who they've let go um but also we don't know the full story yet do we so we don't know that. the full story and uh, listeners might have a comment or a question uh, that will be welcome too and uh, we're sensitive mm. the way we are going to be talking about these things uh, but we're actually talking and we're in the deep end here Uh, But we are talking about some things that undergird uh, the way that the church has any influence in our society. When we talk about God, uh, the King, and his transcendence, when we talk about the way that believers engage, we know, David, that the church itself is not a lobby organization. It does exert pressure, and there is a certain sometimes behind-closed-doors pressure that's being exerted very powerfully by church leaders. Mm. And we know that it's the church is uh, a ministry institution. It's ordained by God. But there is some parachurch uh, organizations, and it's not just Christian schools and aged care and child care and everything else that churches do in caring in the welfare for a community, but it's also got this parachurch lobbying opportunity, which identifies what the challenges and the problems are that need to be addressed. Yeah. And so... The lobbying organization itself is under the umbrella of the church, which is under the umbrella of yeah. God. We got to get, There's context in all of this, isn't there? There is. And we also need to be uh, wise about how that work is done. So sometimes there's a space for public statements and proclamations. And if you think an issue is big enough, we'll go public on it. So often there's a lot of behind the scenes work. I mean, I gave you an example of last night, just after the event, I sit and I and I talk to a couple of key um, opposition bench speakers. But on other things, it's you build the, you build the relationships, people, you get people to help 
help them to understand where you're coming from. And you can have some wonderful examples. Can I, can I give you one example of that? In the middle of COVID here in Sydney, I'm in the Fairfield local government area. We had those rules for a while where you just couldn't leave the, the local government area because there was such concern over the spread of COVID. Now, setting aside whether that was justified or not, let's just deal with the fact it was there. Um, that was a real issue for a number of ministers who ministered outside of their LGA. And we find ourselves in the position where we had um, to various degrees, willingly um, submitted to the rules that were placed upon us. But we got to a point where there were a number of us were going, we're going to have to break the law. And we don't want to break the law. But the only way we can meet our obligation on this is to break the law. And especially those guys, one guy on their own ministering uh, uh, in, in a church. Now, at that point, what are you going to do? You can, you can just shout and scream and stamp your feet. Um, what I actually did is I picked up the phone to two MPs, my MP at where the cathedral is based and my MP here where I live, a local state MP. And they were opposite sides of the political spectrum. And I said to both of them, please help us. This is the position that we're in. You know what we're, we know what we're all about. You know what we're not all about. We're at the point where we will break the law. We don't want to. Please get us out of this situation and three days later the health minister announced a change to the rules for ministers of religion um and i don't say that to go look at me i was special i go there's many ways to skin the cat and that's also part of biblical wisdom as well and i know that there'll be listeners who can appreciate a gentle and yet firm assessment of a situation that can be relayed uh, in a telephone call that doesn't need a protest on the street Yes. But when you get to a point where you say uh, we have to have the protest on the street, and I've got to say we had these sorts of conversations too through the crisis times, and yeah, wonderful yeah. wisdom came through lobby organisations, Christian lobby organisations that said hold back on civil disobedience because there are other levers that are able to be used before civil disobedience is necessary. So we've got to have wisdom in these sorts of contexts. I, th I think so, yeah. yeah. Just uh, come back to the Australian Christian lobby for a few yeah. moments. Um, sure. Because not everybody knows uh, what controversy has unfolded uh, that has led to a point where Martin Isles, who is a very popular leader, uh, has been let go in his contract. We don't know that. All we do know is that the Australian Christian lobby has not been reactionary. Uh, in fact, they've said in a statement that they've apologised for a delay in a response, but on the board, they don't want to act reflexively. What they are saying, this is Jim Wallace, who's the chairman of the ACL, says we always will be committed to truth made public. That objectives of the ACL have not changed as the Australian Christian Lobby. It is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that drives every aspect of the work that we do. So there is a little bit of an upset as to uh, the ways that uh, gifts are engaged here. But what we need is an organisation like the Australian Christian Lobby and a whole bunch of others that I mentioned before. We need these organisations and we need to be supportive of them, even if there's some things that happen that we might not be across all the details. Your thoughts here, David? 
Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. We do need these organizations uh, and we also need them to do their work well. Uh, and so and that's really hard. I, I, I mean, as, as I'm articulating here, there is this real balance to be found because uh, it is right to say the ACL is not a primarily an evangelistic organization. At the same time, I guys like me want to go. But if I'm not hearing the sweetness of the gospel in what's going on, then to what extent is it a Christian organization uh, and not a, a morals organization, as good as those morals may be? And that's a really hard, I think that's a really hard wire to balance on. And clearly there were differences of opinion on how that wire should be balanced. So I think it's really, really hard. But I, I don't want to be one of those guys that sticks the boot in at this point. I mean, I was a little bit disappointed with the way it worked out. Uh, uh, but I also acknowledge, I just don't see, I don't, I don't know the detail. But we need organizations like this. We need them to do it well. And 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 you know what? There's something about having the courage in public to be disliked uh, that that I, we need to support. And, and we also need to remind ourselves that we... It, we cannot, as Christians, be demanding that the people who speak in public are perfect at what they do. They're always going to make mistakes. They're always going to get get it wrong. Uh, they're never going to articulate it beautifully the way that all of us want to want want to have it have it done. So it's a it's a it's a hard hard position. It's not a job I'd want. That's what I'm saying. It's not a job that I would want at all. And you can imagine that there would be undoubtedly robust conversation that's going on around the issues that are being confronted. And so when we have a situation where there might be something that was unresolved, and we all say, Mm. wouldn't we all like to know what the unresolved thing was? Sometimes you've just got to say those things ought to remain confidential. If there was something unresolved, let it be unresolved. I don't need to know what the unresolved issue was, but I do need to know where I'm committed in what I'm doing uh, from wherever I'm listening right around Australia now. Uh, You're not there in Canberra with the Australian Christian Lobby, but somehow or other you've got to be able to say, this is where my commitment is. I need to hold firm see this course through because what is God doing in all of these things that have happened? There's a divine element that happens in these things. Any thoughts from you on that divine perspective? So that last thing, yes, in the the providence of God is something we always fall back on. He knows exactly what he's doing in this. He's already decided beforehand it would happen uh, and he'll work it through as he sees fit to his own glory in Jesus Christ. Of that, we have no doubt. Our job is to get on in the meantime. When When these things happen in Christian organizations, there's a couple of things that always go on, I reckon. Often there's a disagreement of principle, and that clearly seems to be something that's going on here, a difference of approach that comes down to some principles of how they go about what they're doing. And that's okay. Uh, we can disagree all the time. And um, and uh, the employee always ought to be submitting to the employer. As Christians, that's what we ought to do. If I, for example, had a disagreement, a serious significant disagreement of principle with my boss at the cathedral, then it's my job to resign because uh, uh, he's in charge he sets the agenda right so so that's 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 right sometimes there can be some personality things that go on as well who knows uh and um you know we're all we're all we're all sinners that 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 go on the one thing i would say neil is as christian organizations if there is a hint of actually impropriety or or unfairness or quite frankly sin in the way that people have been treated that 
that we ought not to do the thing where we go, oh, no, you know, some things just remain quiet, you know, and we have non-disclosure agreements. No, no. We as the people of God ought to be the people who have no fear at all about light being shone onto onto sin. Now, as I say that, I say that as a principle because I don't see anything from what either side have said that 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 sin is an issue here it looks to me like there's been a difference of principle on how they ought to go about their job and two different personalities have gone given this difference of principle we probably can't work together anymore beyond that i don't know um some of it will come out some of it won't at that point you know it becomes sometimes it becomes gossip and my need to know is is unhelpful and yeah let's 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 think what the future might look like and in the province of god we'll trust him with it Perhaps there is a word of caution that listeners can hear in your thoughts there, David, too, and I'd echo those, uh, is to not take sides. In actual fact, uh, I, like so many listeners, uh, love Martin Isles and want the best for his future, but I also love the work of the Australian Christian Lobby and recognise the value of what they do. And uh, if people are saying, why am I not hearing lots of statements coming from either side? They've both made a statement. Uh, There will be, I think, what will perhaps be a right thing, uh, maintaining a little radio silence, hoping that the commentariat, uh, like you, David, and like me, won't actually take sides, but will actually give some level of grace to both sides that says, There's something here that might be unresolved, but that doesn't stop or hinder the work of what the Australian Christian Lobby is there to do. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It's it's easy, isn't it, to take sides and then one against the other, and I'm not going to give my support there anymore. But somehow or other, when you believe in something strongly, you do need to put your financial support and keep it going, even though it doesn't necessarily always agree with you. Although what I think would be good uh, at this point, and you don't have to take sides to do this, I think it would be good for us to use this as a catalyzing moment to have that conversation about what is that interplay between the gospel and the ethics that come from the gospel? How how ought that to be communicated? That clearly lies at the heart of the disagreement that's going on here, I, I think, as I perceive it. Um, and that's not a bad conversation for us to have. And if we can have it with the grace that says, let's have it as an in-principle conversation, uh, wider than that, wider than just the ACL. That's a really helpful thing to come, I think, to, to to come out of this. And I'm no doubt the ACL board will listen along and take part of that conversation. And then people can work out what they think is the best way then to proceed with this work that we've all got to do of engaging with this world that we're in and those that govern it. And it might be one of those things uh, where you've got a statement from uh, the ACL, from Jim Wallace, the chairman, and says, uh, it is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that drives every aspect of the work that we do and uh, with great strategists like Jim Wallace and other members of the ACL board in some sense uh, we've got to give them uh, some leeway and uh, some grace uh, to know that as they've deliberated on these things before God and even if there is something that's unresolved and even if even if it results in a crisis uh, that you must know that they've made decisions uh, that they will uh, they will live with if they're bad decisions but that yeah. might be that might be just getting hey keeping the track of what they are designed to do and sometimes we are concerned about things like mission drift drifting away from the mission that we're all called to and so we're back yeah. into a flow into a stream of what's important and you can uh, waste a lot of time doing some things that are not in your stream and somehow or other but I, I do like a, I do like what you're saying though David 
this interplay between where it is, the gospel, the sweetness of understanding who Jesus is in the whole mix and that actually fueling what we do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And well, time will tell where, how that works out for the ACL. Uh, and um, let's give them maybe a bit of space, even as we have that wider conversation. And more and more, uh, we are either on the front line of the battle for truth and righteousness. We're talking about engagement here. Uh, and there are those who have got their neck on the block. And uh, it's pretty challenging when you're the leader of an organization like, uh, say, the Christian Lobby or Family Voice Australia or all of the other ones that we might be able to mention. Pretty tough being that, but either you're on the front line of the battle or you're a supporter of those who are on the front line of the battle. Uh, everyone put our hand up right now if we're somewhere in the mix. Uh, if we're not on the front line, we're supporting the front line. It might be a prayer, but it might also be a financial support. I wouldn't be surprised if people get a, a, a fixation on what's happened with the ACL that those who are prayerfully considering this might actually increase their support because they recognise there's a necessity for that. Uh, I don't know whether you've got any thought on that. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, my only thought in response to that as well is to say church first, because remember, the proclamation of the gospel always first is a priority. Uh, uh, and then uh, if you genuinely think that organizations like the ACL have a have a purpose uh, under God to to promote what is for the benefit of society, to use that language from the prayer book um, uh, earlier, then yes, by all means, put your put your put your put your money there. It's a better way to spend your money than than a brand new flat screen TV. That's for sure. <laughs> Hey, you're going to be delivering uh, one yeah. of the addresses at the Church and State Summit. That's happening this Friday and this Saturday. I think your session is on the Saturday afternoon. Uh, you're right. going to be delivering a biblical survey, how the people of God engage with pagan governments. Uh, you're going to have a audience with listening ears, and a lot of those people are going to be on the front line. Uh, and a lot of those people in the audience are going to be the supporters as well. Uh, you know, I, I'm not asking you for all the details. We've run out sure. of time, but uh, we don't have the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you've got a few. Uh, you've got a few grenades to throw there, haven't you? Uh, well, you I know, around this. Well, not deliberately, but I think what's really challenged me uh, um, on um, as, I'm, as I've read through the biblical uh, um, uh, texts again is this overwhelming attitude of submission to the authority that, that seems to be uh, um, pushing through, even when at times the stand is made. And so really the question is, where does the stand come and 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 who makes it and 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 how and i think that's really the question that, that we've had to grapple with uh, uh and so covid has raised that issue for us so the big question for us of course was was the government picking on the church or was it simply doing a rule for all uh and did that does it actually make a difference to to to, to what we're thinking about uh and then also the thing i want to just talk about briefly at the end is we've always got to be wary of of who and what we're listening to uh, um in order that's shaping our voices one of the things i fear and i say this as a political conservative uh, myself, Neil, a uh, very uh, strong political conservative my, myself. Uh, but one of the things I fear is that there are times when we mistake political conservatism for gospel ethics, uh, and we uh, and there's a danger that we slip too far in one direction. And so our response isn't actually, I think, as biblically shaped um, as it as it could be. And and I think I wonder if over the last few years there's been a little bit a little bit too much 
anger in the way things have been done, a little bit too much stridency of 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 uh, opposition, where actually the scriptures probably called us to a different, to a slightly different approach. That some people may not like. Uh, my job, ultimately, as a preacher, because that's my that's my job ultimately, is to say, here's what the Bible says. Here's what I think it means for us as Christians. But you read it for yourself. You read it carefully. You make up your own mind. But we, if if the last three or four years have not taught us anything, it's that we've got to think hard about how we're doing these things and and know why we're responding the way that we're responding. And please, let's make sure it's biblical. Well, I know that every delegate, uh, everyone who's registered for that conference is in for good stuff when you take the stage and delivering that biblical survey, how the people of God engage with pagan governments. David Old, Senior Associate Minister, St. John's Anglican Anglican Cathedral in Parramatta in Sydney. I think you're going to have an influx of visitors this coming Sunday too. (laughs) And uh, to connect, (laughs) that's right. Uh, To connect with David, David Old. Now, how do you spell that? O U L D. O U L D. And that's my father's fault. He gave me that name. My 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 father. Um, uh, bless him. He he passed away at the start of this month. Um, and um, but uh, one of the legacy things he's given me is a shocking lack of hair on the top of my head and uh, an extra vowel in my surname. So it's David Old. O U L D. Dot net. Uh, and that's where you can see some of the nonsense I get up to. So little old before your time, but uh, you know you're a young, yes, you're like a young no man at heart. Ever made that joke before to me? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> you've heard it a thousand times. David Old O U L D dot net, and uh, you'll get into some really wonderful, wise blogs that David writes. Uh, you can also see him speak Church and State Summit churchandstate.com.au it's on this Friday and this Saturday church and not state not too late to get a ticket Neil not it's too not late too to late no they've got a larger venue and uh, there are some seats available churchandstate.com.au it'll be on in Brisbane for those listening in southeast Queensland or northern New South Wales or if you want to get a late plane ticket and arrive in Brisbane David thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and heart with us today on 2020 oh, it's been a delight thank you so much Neil uh, let's do it again Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.